0: Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman
1: in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster
0: Herald Podcast, It's Superman, the Herald Podcast, the your Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast.
1: The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com.
0: Join hosts Michael Bradley,
2: John Wilson,
1: Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer,
2: J. David Weeder,
1: Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner,
2: Sam Rizzo, Danny Sab,
1: Matthew Epps, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding
3: planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over
0: as Superman. Hey
3: everybody, and welcome to episode 83 of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and I'm so glad to be back talking to you all again today. This time out, I've got a special issue of Superman and an email. But first, I should point out that this episode is sponsored by in Stock Trades. Be sure to follow in Stock Trades on Twitter, and you will receive special notices on deals of the week. Now that the holidays are right around the corner, this is a great site to do some holiday shopping, and... Shipping is free for orders over $50. Currently, they're running their New Year's resolution sale this month, and that's going to be all DC, Marvel, Image, and Dark Horse books at 45% off. Well, They're also going to have a separate IDW Doctor Who sale for 45% off as well. You can check them out at InStockTrades.com. First up, we have a comment on Episode 80 from Russell Bragg. And Russell writes... Hi! As I write this, only the first part of Superman vs. Muhammad Ali has been posted. I'll probably write again after I listen to part two, but I just had a comment now. It was great hearing from Michael Bradley again. It's been too long, not counting the Man of Steel Roundtable his his podcast hosted. I have always enjoyed this comic, which I have in the original tabloid-sized edition. It's so awesome to look at, and that cover, you just can't say enough about the cover. I was never a huge Muhammad Ali fan, nor boxing for that matter, but it was very unique to team up Superman with a real-life celebrity and have them in an adventure together. And battling against aliens? Wow. I needed to confess to you how ashamed I am for something. Several emails ago, I mentioned about bringing back the favorite segment back where you asked the listener to write in with their favorite whatever for the week, i.e. story, team-up writer, etc., You said you might if we could give you some ideas. It was my suggestion, and I still haven't been any help. I should have kept my mouth shut. Mostly, I couldn't remember what favorites you had already given and didn't want to repeat them. However, I did think of one. What is your favorite Superman story involving kryptonite? It's my question, and I still have to think about it. Oh well, I hope you will accept my apology. Now that I have one favorite for you, maybe you can come up with more. Hope all is well, enjoyed all the Superman movie commentaries you did, and I can't wait to listen to part two of Superman vs. Muhammad Ali. Take care, Russell. Well, I'm going to do a spoiler for everybody. Russell didn't write in again for part two. Sad, really. I I cried for about a week, really. Um, as far as my favorite Superman story involving kryptonite probably Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. Can't really tell you why other than at the end, Lois and Clark get get engaged, but that's probably one of my favorites. Uh, There's a whole bunch of Silver Age ones, like the one where Red Kryptonite gives Superman a giant ant head and one where he gets a lion head, but I understand it's the 60s and the Silver Age, and they're silly anyway, but it's just a little too silly for me, I Sorry. Um, but that's mine. So what is yours? Thank you, Russell. Uh, like Russell said, we're going to, re- well, I don't know how often we'll resume it, but we will resume our favorites question. So everybody listening, what is your favorite Superman story involving kryptonite? You can email the, quest- the your answer at, Superman, or at superbronze1970 at gmail.com, or you can respond to the post on our Facebook page and we will make, and I'll make sure I read that the next episode. So thank you, Russell. And that's going to do it for that. Next up, we're going to play a couple of promos, and then we'll be right back. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages.
1: The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents... The Nom. Join me, Tom Paneris, for In Country... a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series... The Nom. Each episode, I will recap and review... one issue of the series as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.potomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com.
0: Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon... And your emails are always welcome at Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age.
3: Now, before we get into today's comic, I want to send a quick shout-out to Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast. When I was planning out episodes for the year, I had sent out a message to all the other podcasters for any episodes that that they'd be interested in being on, and Billy chose this one. But I got it confused and had him on for the Superman Takes a Wife episode. This worked out, as he likes that story too, but when it came time to do this episode, I... Well, to be honest, I just ran out of time to schedule something with him. In fact, as I'm recording this, it's the night I'm supposed to be posting it. So I apologize. Uh, so I'm gonna end up doing this one solo and but I want but I apologize to Billy, and I hope you all will check out his show, if you aren't already, at the Superman Fan Podcast.blogspot.com. It's a good show. It's been running for a long time. I highly recommend it. Now, this this week's issue, Superman number 338, which had a cover date of August 1979 and an on sale date of May 21st, 1979, and that's according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at dcindexes.com. com, uh, and the book had a cover price of 40 cents. The title of the issue is Let My People Grow, written by Linewine, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Schirmante lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Glenis Ween, editor Julie Schwartz, and special thanks to Marv Wolfman for suggesting the story. And, the, of course, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Uh, we're going to start off looking at the cover, which is pretty cool. it uh got this blurb at the top, our 40th anniversary super spectacular, an explosive extra-length novel. And what we've got is... Superman shooting a ray at the Bottle City of Candor, and it's getting bigger, and Supergirl is trying to stop him and saying, Superman, stop, your ex- experimental ray may destroy the Bottle City. And Superman says, too late, Supergirl, one way or another, Kandor must be enlarged. Can you guess what happens in this issue yet? Now on the title page... We have this nice little blurb. More than 40 years ago, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster created a hero of such power and such majesty that he has become a modern legend. Today, that legend takes a giant leap forward. DC Comics proudly presents a landmark episode in The Amazing Adventures of Superman. And our story begins in the heart of a supernova, a celestial phenomenon that occurs only once in a millennium. Superman, inside a specially insulated spacesuit, is using a specially made energy collector to collect the expanding energy inside the supernova. Unfortunately, the heat of the supernova is too much for the collector and it begins melting away, but not before Superman gets just enough of the energy for his purposes. Using his body for protection, Superman is able to gather his energy canister and head back to Earth, where with a flexing of his muscles, he removes the spacesuit from his body. But the supernova radiation was just too much for the Man of Steel, and he passes out, plummeting to the ground. Fortunately, Supergirl has been keeping a telescopic eye on the skies, waiting for Superman's return, and is able to catch him and take him to a deserted mountainside. Soon, Superman awakens, and the pair rejoice that they finally have what they need to fulfill a promise Superman made long ago, to enlarge the bottle city of Kandor. After a quick trip to the fortress, Super- Superman informs the Kandorian Science Council of the good news, and they're also excited. All except for Arn Ull. Arn Ull, like Arnold. I'm sorry. Arn Ull, who reminds Superman of previous failures and asks how they can be certain that things will work this time. So Superman begins test preparations, and even though Van Zee volunteers for the test, Superman protests stating that putting even one Kandorian in jeopardy would defeat the purpose of what he hopes to accomplish. Then he informs everyone that he himself will be the test subject. But it could be kind of tricky. See, in order to test in order for the test to be accurate, Superman would need to be shrunk by the same shrinking ray that Brainiac used on Candor. And that particular shrinking ray is on Brainiac's flying saucer. So, Superman creates what is essentially a beeper that will send out an ultra-high-frequency signal specially attuned to Brainiac's electronic brainwaves, and will seek him out anywhere in the universe, because comic book physics. All Superman has to do is wait for Brainiac to track the signal back to its source. So, with time to kill, Superman heads back to Metropolis, or more specifically, WGBS where he changes to Clark Kent and finds that in all the excitement, he forgot all about the party to celebrate Perry White's 40th anniversary with the Daily Planet, which he's late for. Fortunately, Lois finds him and brings him into the party just in time to hear Morgan Edge give a speech honoring Perry and his accomplishments and present him with a solid gold reproduction of the first story to ever carry Perry's byline. But the festivities are soon interrupted by a massive earthquake. While the others try to figure out how Metropolis could be having an earthquake when it's built on solid bedrock, Clark uses the confusion to slip away and change to Superman because he knows the cause of the earthquake. Brainiac. In Earth orbit, Superman confronts Brainiac, who orders him to turn off the signal, but Superman refuses, and then goads Brainiac into attacking by flying right at the robot, only to be deflected by his force field. Then Brainiac attacks by firing shockwave bolts from the circuit endings on his scalp, causing Superman a great deal of pain. Eventually, Superman gets away, then hurls a nearby meteoroid at Brainiac and his ship. So so Brainiac fires his shrinking ray. But before the ray can hit the rock, Superman shatters it and allows himself to be hit by the ray. After Brainiac threatens to fire his ray again, Supergirl shows up. Brainiac fires the ray at her, but she uses Superman's new enlarging ray to deflect the blast, which hits Brainiac and his ship, causing them both to shrink down to nothingness. Soon, back at the fortress and in full view of cameras sending the footage to Kandor, Supergirl fires the enlarging ray at Superman, and after a slight delay, Superman returns to his normal height. With the ray success, the super cousins build a sleek spacecraft and take the Bottle City with them to enlarge the Kandorians on a planet of their choosing, a large primitive planet that orbits a red sun. After landing, Superman fires the last of the energy on the, in the enlarging ray at the bottle, causing it to grow before their very eyes. Soon, Superman and Supergirl are walking through the streets of Kandor and are greeted by the Science Council, as well as Supergirl's parents, Uzorel and Allura. And although she's glad to see them restored, she tells her parents that she cannot abandon the life she's made for herself on Earth. Just then, there's a rumble, actually a loud hiss, apparently, as the buildings around them begin to crumble. While Superman's ray worked on animate objects, such as, you know, the Kandorians, Inanimate objects lost their molecular cohesion, turning every non-living thing to can- in Candor to dust. As Superman beats himself up over the matter, Arn Oll adds insult to injury and tells Superman that he will pay. But Van Zee quickly shuts him up, and then he tells Superman that this is actually a good thing. They've spent years locked up in a bottle, being cared for like pets by Brainiac and then Superman, and they've basically lost their initiative. Now that they've got a primitive wilderness to tame and conquer, they can get that back. Plus, while the city is gone, Superman has provided them with a whole new world. A new Krypton, if you will. Superman offers to stay and help rebuild, but Vansy respectfully declines before knocking Superman out with a punch. He then explains to Supergirl that the planet is a phase world that actually exists in another dimension and only appears in our universe during a shift in the cosmic axis. But this shift is about to end, and the heroes need to leave now before they're trapped on this new Krypton. So Vancey carries Superman back to the spaceship, and Supergirl pilots it it back out into space. On the ship, Superman comes to just as the planet fades away, and the heroes wish the Kandorians Godspeed, envious of the great journey of cosmic discovery ahead of them. Now wasn't that fun? That's ah, that was a fun story. Um, let's get into the notes real quick. Page one of this issue, uh, we see Superman in a protective in a protective spacesuit, and it's not something you normally see during the Bronze Age, which just goes to show you how powerful these supernovas are. Which you know, I guess since it's super and Superman's super, it'd be like us in a. Nova. I don't know. Also, the design for the Energy Collector is pretty awesome, while the design for the spacesuit is pretty... Well, it's not awesome. We'll put it that way. But this Energy Collector, it's got like, how many mirrors on it? Like five or six mirrors? Or four? Uh, All making sure that the light gets shunted into this one tube, into the energy, into the basically the ray container, uh, or the energy container. So, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's really, it's a detailed thing, and poor Swan had to draw it over and over and over again, but he did a good job of it. Also, it's pretty cool that Superman even has to wear goggles, because it would burn his eyes. Uh, Let's see, page four is where my next note is. Something else you don't see too often in the Bronze Age or really at all, Superman falling and being caught by Supergirl. Doesn't happen too much. Page 8. Now, here is a cool in-story way to mention the 40th anniversary of Superman. On one hand, there are characters in here that we haven't seen before, or for a long time, from Jimmy and Lois' solo adventures, such as... uh, Let's see. Such as Percy Bratton, Dave Stevens, Well, that's about it. And an unnamed girl. Um, but on the other side, apparently the Daily Planet is only staffed by about nine people. Well, technically eight and a half because Clark, by this point, is working there part-time, and Morgan Edge doesn't count because he's GBS. The cool thing, though, is that the cake for this is basically shaped like a typewriter with a candle in the spot for each key. That's pretty cool. Uh, page eight. Now, I already said that. Now, page 9. It wouldn't be a super special anniversary issue without a don't call me chief gag here. Uh, Which, Perry says it's a good thing he's in a... It's a good thing he's in a good mood because he tells Jimmy that if he's told him a million times, don't call me chief. And then, of course, Jimmy says, don't worry, chief. I'll never do it again. Which is kind of a joke. Anyway. Page 10. I'm wondering if Superman regretted upsetting Brainiac when people were undoubtedly killed in the earthquake. I mean, these buildings are shaking like crazy. So, yeah. But I guess since they don't say anyone died, then obviously they did. Page 12. Something else you don't see too often in the Bronze Age Superman in pain. I mean, he's arguing. So loud, it's not even in a word balloon. Page 15. Superman's willing to sacrifice himself to save his enemy here. Sounds about right to me. Uh, Actually, I failed to mention that on the synopsis. Uh, Brainiac starts shrinking, and he's like, Supergirl, you must save me. And Supergirl says that there isn't enough energy in the Enlarging Ray to save Superman and Kandor and Brainiac. So Superman's like, we have to try to save him. But before they can really do anything, he just disappears. So it's very Superman, because he's willing to sacrifice in order to save his own enemy. But then, page 16, there's no mourning for Brainiac at all. They just go back to the fortress, the rate works, and everyone's happy. Which isn't very Superman. Kind of, in one page, too. That's just weird. Anyway, page 17. You know, it's too bad they didn't use the supermobile to fly the new planet to the new planet, rather than build a, building a new ship from scratch. I mean, the design was already there. Kurt Swan's drawn it before. Uh, there's enough room for two people, and I'm sure they could have fit the bottle in there. Them just draw a slightly bigger cockpit. But no, they build a whole new ship. Weird. Then again, uh. I believe that shortly after it was created, they kind of wanted to forget that it was ever around. Kind of like the uh, Spidey, the Spider-Man buggy, the Spidey buggy, or whatever it's called. So, you know, I mean, why does Superman need a mobile, really? Uh, Pages 18 and 19. Something else you don't see too often in the Bronze Age, a two-page spread. But for a monumental event like the enlarging of Candor, it's a pretty effective thing. Uh, The detail that Kurt Swan puts in on the buildings, the futuristic-looking buildings, I should should add, uh, is just really cool, with Superman and Supergirl in the foreground kind of providing a sense of size because these buildings are towering over them. Page 20. Superman has a good point here. If jor and Lyra had not sacrificed their lives to send their son to Earth, Kandor would still be in a bottle with Brainiac. So while he's sad that his parents couldn't be there to say, you know, hi, thanks for saving us, if they were there, then none it, the bottle would not be enlarged by now. It's a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing. Sorry. Page 21. My final note. Not to kick Superman when he's down, but, you know, there's a lot of buildings. All the buildings just crumbled to dust. I highly doubt that everybody was out in the streets when this happened. I mean, it's possible, but, you know, I highly doubt it, real- realistically. So that means, I'm so wondering how many people died from this. Not something you want to think about, but theoretically it's possible. Overall, though, this is just a pretty awesome story. Uh, a What I consider a pretty long-running subplot from the early Silver Age. I mean, we're talking like 58, 59, 57, somewhere there, when Brainiac was introduced. And it's finally resolved here in 1979. So we're talking almost 20 years. Granted, it wasn't really meant to be a... Well, I guess technically it's a subplot. But, you know, it's kind of a status quo thing. But I can't imagine what something like this meant to fans reading this at the time. I mean, by this point, Kandor being in a bottle was, like I said, part of the status quo. And now that's been changed. No more Kandorians. Not a hoax. Not an imaginary story. Add to the fact that recent stories had brought back Kryptonite. Clark is now working part-time at the Daily Planet. Lana has returned to be Clark's co-anchor at the WGBS news desk. Plus the fact that we've been getting all these cool treasury edition stories. The fact that we're currently in a time between Superman, the movie and Superman two, not only must it be an exciting time to be a Superman fan, but if they're willing to make all these changes to the status quo, it's almost like anything could happen. It really opens up the possibilities. Of course, hindsight being 2020 we know they don't change too terribly much but the possibility of it happening is there and that's really cool as for the art in this issue and while Su- while swan is up to his usual high standards if in my opinion especially that two-page spread i mentioned um Charmante is not my favorite swan anchor. he has a tendency, at times, to make Swan's pencils look really flat. And he either adds enough lines to make the characters look old, or takes out most of the lines, which makes them look cartoony and flat. There's not much of a uh, happy medium most of the time. But, you know, it works, I guess. Uh, But that's really all I have to say about that. And after a couple more promos, We'll take a look at the ads and elsewhere in the DC Multiverse. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back
2: after these messages.
0: My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a Back to the Men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty.
1: Do I need to mm-hmm. mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well,
0: now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you have to do it. You might
1: want to. only if you do have it set to automatically, because you don't want it to automatically, because the thing never works right. Because what'll happen is it'll be used to you at a particular time, and then if you go out of that, t- it scrambles to uh, a, t- and it doesn't. A t- fast enough so it's better to just set it oh, up okay it really doesn't work well
0: so i checked all right. uh, i checked my uh mm-hmm. what you call it? My it definitely built good built good me good for team. the hotel for all three of us
2: join back to the bins every week for goodness
3: Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers
2: since the day bruce banner was bathed in gamma rays he has fought the creature within the creature torments banner the creature is unstoppable The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk. And all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole. And three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Wheeler, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomepage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before.
1: and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age.
3: Alright, our ads for this issue. First, on the inside front cover, we have a shoe ad for basically uh, their sport it looks like cleats endorsed by O.J. Simpson. Which I'm sure was pretty cool then, but now has a whole different meaning. The, you know, it's weird that the white kid on here is drawn to look like a really young Jimmy Carter. I mean, he was president, but still. Uh, anyway, next ad page is way in here. It's a fruit stripe gum ad. Let's see. Oh, it's one of those... Uh, basically, it's a one of those search and find pictures. Uh, there's a nice picture with a drawing. You have to find certain things that is in here. Find three oranges, four cherries, three lemons, four limes, ten grapes, two sticks of lime, one stick of grape, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, it's just a fun little thing to draw in your comic and then devalue it all at the same time. It's pretty cool. Next page is a hodgepodge ad for a bunch of super gifts and gimmicks such as the atomic pistol or the atomic mini pistol which just makes a loud bang. uh, Snappers, the snake nut can, the pocket spy scope, x-ray specs, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, moving right along. Oh, I'm going to tell you now, no Hostess ad. Sorry, folks. Uh, the next page, or the next ad, is from Hostess. Well, okay, there is a Hostess ad, but it's not the comic, the little comic stories. Uh, it's Well, the top half of the ad uh, shows a baseball player. Looks like he's hitting a, home, a uh, Hostess cupcake and a Hostess Twinkie out of the park. It says two big hits, Hostess cakes, plus free baseball cards. Find three full-color cards printed on specially marked boxes of Twinkie cakes, cupcakes, Suzy Q's, and other Hostess snacks. Available in most areas, offer as good as supplies last and I can't you can't really tell who the cards are cuz it's all hand drawn but yeah basically you got cards printed on the on the box so that's kind of cool of course then you cut it out and if you don't cut it out right you know it's kind of pointless next up is the Pete Rose batting practice ad it's a, it's a basically a comic ad it's basically um it looks like it's a machine with a super stretch adjustable cord that pitches and lets you hit it without, you know, you having to run after the ball. Not bad. Once again, though, kind of going with the theme from the O.J. Simpson ad, uh, it's kind of an ad that includes someone that you really don't want to associate with too much because yeah, Um, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Pete Rose was caught gambling on baseball games. And so he's a black sheep of the baseball world and is banned from ever being allowed to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, despite the fact that he was apparently really good. Next ad page is two half-page ads. The bottom half is a grit ad, the same one they had all the way through the 70s, and now into the 80s, almost. And the top half is a Slim Jim ad showing a couple kids eating Slim Jims. That's right. I'm telling kids to ask their mom to pick up the, to pick up Slim Jims. Uh, let's see. The next page is for, or the next ad is for a remote-controlled Lamborghini Countach, 120 scale, uh, with lights, and it's the ultimate sports car, super sports car kit. Just $12.99 plus two dollars postage and handling. You get this nice remote-controlled Lamborghini Countach. Which, actually, even considering it's more than 30 years later, still looks like a really cool car here. Plus, with each order, you get a free Superman Iron-On with each order. Doesn't say you get the shirt, just the Iron-On. Apparently, this thing, you can operate the headlights and taillights. You can operate the headlights and taillights with a winking feature. Motor-driven power steering car has two powerful electric motors, forward and reverse shift lever, and steering wheel on the control box, turns left and right, thank goodness, requires batteries, which are not included, it's heavy construction, a detailed model kit with glue included. So, you get this kit, you build it, and then you can drive it. So, in other words, I wouldn't have tried for this anyway because I can't do model kits. It's a shame, really. Uh the next one is a uh ad for coins. We'll pay you $10,000 for a copy for a, for a copy. For a copper 1943 penny like this one. It's different than most 1943 pennies. Do you know what the difference is? Well, considering you can barely see the penny in the picture, I doubt it. But I'm guessing it's based on where it was made. That's my guess. That and I know they 43 would have been during the war, they were probably rationing copper, so there might not have been much copper to actually use for the pennies, too. So, uh, anyway, yes, uh, you could get up to $310 for dimes from the nineteen twenty from before 1926, up to $10,000 for pennies before 1961, uh, $1,200 for half dollars before 1901. for quarters before 1955. Up to $75,000 for silver dollars before 1935. Up to $88,000 for gold coins before 1932. And up to $95,000 for nickels dated before 1914. Wow. And that was in 1979. Uh, The next, next ad page is a hodgepodge ad. Uh, you know, with uh, you know comic books for sale, secret code spy kits, uh, superhero pendants, which is ironic because the only two they show on here is the Hulk and Spider-Man, which I believe at this point both had... Well, Spider-Man's always been popular. I don't know if... I think his live-action show was probably over by this point, but Hulk was going, so yeah. yeah uh, Atlas body, flying rockets, that kind of thing. Uh, the next ad page is for sea monkeys now this same sea monkeys ad other than the price changing is has been used in comics since the 40s fun fact uh, now we're at the inside back cover uh, with the corgi corgi ad shh don't let lois find lois lane find out you're you're a friend of superman She's so snoopy; she'll want to know where you got that neat supermobile. Oh, so much for the supermobile being just being gone from memory. Uh, see, we wanted to make these cars just the right size and the right price for you. Now, I believe this is supposed. This was an actual Neil Adams ad. The art, where everything's so small, it's hard to tell. But basically, there uh, we've got five different little vehicles. We have a. Daily Planet truck with a nice Daily Planet advertisement on the side. We have a van that has Superman's logo on the side. We have a Metropolis police car. We have basically the Daily Planet copter from the Superman movie. And the Supermobile. And all of them are small enough to fit in your pocket. Pretty neat, huh? Uh, And the back cover is, is for the Daisy 840. Air Rifle, Action, Power, Accuracy, Shoots, BBs, and Pellets. Contact your local JCS about Daisy's Shooting Education Program. So there you go, back when they were allowed to use guns. And it's endorsed by Johnny Unitas, who would have been popular in my area at the time, had I been alive, due to the fact that he used to be a quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. That's right. I know these things. Uh, Moving right along, let's look at Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse this month. So, looking at cover date, August 1979, sorted by publication date. See what we've got. We've got Batman number 314. And it looks like Batman's up against two-face let's see i am right batman takes on two-face uh, dc comics presents number 12 superman teams up with mr miracle detective comics number 485 has batman on the cover dealing with oh what's his name the tiger guy uh has Batman teaming up with the Bronze Tiger or perhaps up against the Bronze Tiger or the Bronze Tigers in it. Uh but there's you know several stories. There's a Robin Story, Demon, Batgirl, and Man Bat. This was during the time when um the Batman family book had, had, had to be consolidated into detective. So you got stories featuring all these characters. Uh in Flash number two seventy six Apparently, The Flash is up against Green Lantern. Actually, he's up against, at least on the cover, Green Lantern, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Uh, Flash believes they're all imposters. Are they? I don't know. Uh, Let's see, I haven't read that one. Uh, Justice League of America number 169 uh, is the exciting two-part novelette, Doomsday decisions starting in this issue. So I'm guessing it's a two part story. People are attacking the Justice League for no apparent reason. Covered is not that great, but it's a. Oh, Dick Dillon. That's probably why. Uh, also, this month we have World of Krypton number two, which is the second issue of DC's very first. Um, Which is issue number two of DC's very first miniseries, and ironically, and probably scheduled this way, this issue features the story of Brainiac stealing the city of Candor. So just as we finally saved it, it gets taken again. That's pretty cool, actually. I didn't realize they did that. Uh, World's Finest number two five eight has a pretty cool looking Neil Adams cover. Uh, let's see, Batman fights for his life against his best friend as the I'm sorry, Superman fights for his life against his best friend as the Batman falls victim to the Krypton Curse it's a Neil Adams cover I don't know what the Krypton Curse is but Batman appears to have turned into a man-bat is all I can tell you Uh, Action Comics number 498 we're getting close to to Action 500 Um, we, we see Clark and Lana watching Superman go into battle, but how can that be if Clark is Superman? Think about it, folks. Think about it. I know it makes your head hurt, doesn't it? Uh, Brave and the Bold, number 153, Superman teams up with the Red Tornado. Green Lantern, number 119, is actually a team up of Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Um apparently dealing with the gravity connection. Whatever that is. It's got a cool cover, though. Super Friends number 23, which is, of course, the tie-in to the long-running show. It features the SOS from nowhere, and looks like the Wonder Twins are going to have to save the Super Friends from the Mirror Worlds of Mirror Master, who never actually showed up on the show, so that's pretty cool. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 254 uh, features the Legion going up against the League of Super Assassins. And according to the cover, looks like the Super Assassins won. And finally, Wonder Woman number two fifty eight. As Wonder Woman tries to stop an uh looks like a nuclear warehouse from being destroyed, she may be too late. Did I just say a nuclear warehouse, where it looks like she's trying to? It looks like she's trying to prevent a nuclear plant from being destroyed, but it looks like she's about to be too late. So yes, and thus ends the Superman portion of this episode. Next up, Mr. J. David Weider regales us with yet another exciting adventure of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes.
1: The adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the
2: pursuit of truth. Welcome back to Superboy in the Bronze Age. The segment looking at the Teen of Steel's adventures with the Legion of Superheroes. I am J. David Weider. This time around, get ready for villainy. Perhaps a Legion of Villainy? Well, that's what we're going to get with Superboy starring the Legion of Superheroes, issue 208, the April 1975 issue. This was a 64-page spectacular, but our story is the lead story, which is the Vengeance of the Supervillains. Written by Kerry Bates with art by Mike Grell. And guess what the twist is? No, no, really, guess. Well, for those of you that said Chameleon Boy is disguised as somebody else, you get a gold star. For those of you who said Alan Barkin shivs Alf with an ice pick, save that for the fanfic. The basic gist of the story is that Monel is on vacation in the 20th century with Superboy, and Ultra Boy is on vacation with his parents. While back at Legion HQ, Brainiac 5, Timberwolf, and Saturn Girl are prepping this Really ornate trophy to be given to Dr. Larks Kenrick, who negotiated some huge peace treaty between planets that has nothing to do with the story itself. Now, back in the 20th century, Superboy and Monel are about to take off for the 30th century when Jonathan Kent pulls a gun on them and hypnotizes them into fighting one another. But the fight's kind of lackluster, just to be honest. I mean, it's more like a, a bar fight than two super powered beings that could shatter moons. Fighting one another but simultaneously ultra boy falls victim to a paralyzing drug his parents slipped him in his drink and that's where the first chapter ends now at this point the story has nothing but potential the kids turning on monel and clark was pretty traumatic and you know something is up with this statue because the legion is analyzing it so thoroughly even though they find nothing wrong with it it seems to be cool we have a cool setup that's what we have Mike Grell seems back on form as art's looking good after the meh art of last issue. I think deadlines were looming a little bit closer last issue than we were here. It even begins with a cool frontispiece of the Legion of Super-Villains looking at an explosion on a model of Legion HQ and just a promising sunrise over Smallville. Everything is going well at this point and I never would have suspected that we would see Chameleon Boy fake out once again. But, Saturn Girl is looking like she stepped off the cover of the 30th century version of Cosmo. It's odd that they didn't make an action figure of this particular version of the suit that she wears, which is revealing. I'll put that there and leave it as polite as I can. And then we get the Legion of Supervillains in Chapter 2, which had me excited. I'm in. I'm excited. I'm psyched. Because the Legion of Supervillains is exactly what you, you would picture. They're evil analogs to Legionnaires. You're looking like Sun Emperor. Lightning Lord, Nemesis Kid, Spider Girl, and Radiation Boy, exact opposites like Venom is to Spider Man, evil twins like in a mirror, mirror universe, Star Trek style. And then this story becomes an information dump. The whole chapter shows how Chameleon King, the opposite of Chameleon Boy, infiltrated Legion HQ as a box and snuck out in the trash. He sabotaged the trophy to blow up, and that's pretty much the whole chapter. Again, I'm still good. Yes, it's an information dump. But we have cool villains, we have a neat plot. And a second chapter to serve as a setup to what would I would assume would be an awesome fight to come, an awesome face-off. It has to be awesome, right? No, no. The third chapter, all that happens is Superboy Monel and Ultra Boy are freed from their captors, and they're trying to make their way back to the twenty to the thirtieth century from the from their respective spots. That's right. The trophy doesn't blow up. And the reason is, Chameleon King reveals himself to be... Yeah, you know what's going on. It's Chameleon Boy. And this is kind of make me paranoid about people. I'm going to assume everybody is Chameleon Boy from now on. Uh, but, when the Legion does charge in, the fight's over so quickly, it's anticlimactic. Like, it never even happened. That's it. It's just done. It's done and over with with about one page of a 20-page story being a fight with the Legion of Supervillains. Now, I don't want to criticize Carrie Bates... But, I'm going to anyway. Action is a good thing in a superhero comic. Now admittedly, I'm not asking for this decompressed uh, back-to-back fight from cover to cover. That doesn't fulfill. That's not cool. But, we have a setup for a really good, really solid smackdown. And instead, we get another rehash of the same plot from the last several issues. Now stay with me. I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out for you. The general plot outline has been... Villain manages to infiltrate Legion HQ somehow. The Legion seems to be under attack, but turn the tables with their secret weapon, Chameleon Boy. Same basic plot. There have been a few stories that have deviated, but I think we see the Carrie Bates Legion of Superheroes template here. And at this point, there's no suspension of disbelief. You never feel like they're in in danger. And overall, you know what sucks about this? No wildfire. I could have used more wildfire. No wildfire at all. This story wastes all of its potential. There's no conflict. The Legion is one step ahead at all times. I lost interest completely when we got to Chapter 3. Which is a bummer. Because I really wanted more out of the Legion of Supervillains. Instead we get this sort of apple dumpling gang style scheme. That never really stood a chance. And the rest of the comic stories in in this issue... They were classic Superboy tales. The thing is, you want your heroes to be in danger. They need to be overcoming some great odds. That's what makes them heroes. So you want the odds to be super for a superhero. Okay, that that equation kind of explains itself. And I just kind of checked out. And I, I really am disappointed because there was so much potential here. And the classic stuff outshines this main story. It feels like it was just shoehorned in. Now, as I mentioned, the classic stuff is really good in this, so if you do see this issue for a good price, pick it up. Still worthwhile. But the main story, what we were looking at, just completely unsatisfying. And that, unfortunately, wraps this installment of Superboy in the Bronze Age. Until next time, I am J. David Weider saying, Long live the Legion. Thank you, Dave.
3: And that's going to wrap things up for this episode. Now I know what you're asking yourself. You're saying, self? How could Brainiac possibly return after shrinking down to nothingness? After all, it's only 1979, and we know he shows up several more times before the reboot. I mean, he shows up at least to get that new robotic body in the 80s. How does that work? Don't you worry. We'll find out together when we look at Brainiac's return in Action Comics number 514. I'll see you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weir. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted superman of the bronze age is a proud member of both the superman podcast network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the comics podcast network at www.comicspodcasts.com please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster and is copyright dc comics thank you so much for listening and god bless Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio. The smarter way to listen to radio.